Psalm 50 tonight. This is a psalm of Asaph. Now Asaph was one of David, considered to be one of David's chief uh, musicians. So David had all kinds of musicians as king that surrounded him, but Asaph was one of his chief uh, musicians, but also he was considered probably one of the temple singers that would have sung in the temple in that time. So for here was David uh, and, and these singers, but then some people do feel like this psalm was written after David. It was, there are many writers and scholars that do not believe this psalm was written at the time of King David, but it was written after David, even with Asaph, even as late, some believe, as King Josiah. And you might see a little bit of King Josiah as we look at this tonight, who is one of those uh, one of those outstanding kings. He stood out because of his righteousness and he was willing to tear down the high places and the altars. He was willing to do an amazing thing for God. Uh, he was the one that found the book of the law and asked for Shapham the scribe to read it and wept because when he heard the book of the law, he realized their people had got away from it. And in many ways, Josiah called his people back to God. And he was willing to pay the price, he was, I believe he was finally killed by King Nebo when he went out to battle, but he was a very godly king. So as we enter this tonight, God alone knows exactly the timing of this, but as we look at this tonight, we're going to see a couple major teachings that we can linger on in Psalm 50. The first is we're going to see the greatness of God. Uh, this psalm, as so many psalms, speak of God's greatness, just who God is, how great he is. We're also going to see within this psalm uh, the frailty of man. And we see this throughout the psalms. We see the greatness of God, the frailty of man. But we'll also see another place, and I'll linger on this later, and that is the place that we have the privilege in our frail condition to bless God. And we'll see this tonight also as we look in this psalm and let God speak to us. Verse 1, the mighty one, God, the Lord has spoken and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. May our God come and not keep silence. Fire devours before him, and it is very tempestuous around him. He summons the heavens above and the earth to judge his people and gather my godly ones to me. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice and the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Notice the entry into the psalm. The psalmist is just declaring God. His greatness, his power, Verse one, he is the mighty one. He speaks, he summons the earth from the rising of the sun. He's got the entire earth. If you look at this, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, God is, God is over everything. Here he comes out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shone forth and fire devours before him. It speaks of 
the greatness of God, the power of God. Um, I was just looking at some of the attributes of God, and I, I want to just read a few to you here, because this psalm is speaking of many of God's attributes. I don't know if you've ever wondered about this, but you know, what if a person just got lost on one study of the Bible? And that's just where you spent the rest of your life. Uh, one of the studies that would be probably just, you would never get to the end of, is just the study of who God really is. You could look at word definitions, you could see his hand, you could see his might. And I really believe we live in a culture today, and we're going to see this later within this psalm, that we have attempted, either by default or design, to bring God down to a place that God is not going to be. We try to reason in such a way, and we're going to see in the psalm, Asaph is calling out those who are attempting to make God someone, someone that he is not. But here, just I wrote down 15 attributes of God. Then, then I, think, I think we'll just do something before we go further in this as we're lingering on the greatness of God. You be thinking this through, and if you think of an attribute, I'm going to come to you with the mic and let you share an attribute of God. But I wrote down just 15, just 15. There, you just keep going with God. But the first is God is infinite. Infinite. And let your mind go, infinite. He is com completely everywhere, encapsulating everything. God is immutable. He never changes. When we speak of uh, the changing world we live in, we have an unchanging God that we can rest in, we can be assured of, locked in. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs whatsoever. I think, of, I think of Isaiah 40, he says, well, whom will you ever liken me to? Who am I? I don't even need a counselor. I need no one. God doesn't need us to be perfectly in every way, filled in every way, because he's God. He is self-sufficient. God is omnipotent, and that means he is all-powerful. His, his arm, his hand, when he moves, it happens every way. The Word of God says he spoke the world into existence. He will come back, and an interesting verse in Thessalonians is God will come and destroy with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. God's unveiled Shekinah glory will probably consume the world itself when, the, when we see the last battles that are going to happen at the very last. God won't have to lift a hand. Just unveil his glory. And it's so bright uh, that it will be just so amazing. God is omniscient, all-knowing. He's got it all. You know, I think of David. He says, you know, where, where, where do I ever go from your presence or flee from your spirit? If I make my bed in hell, even you're there. God knows the sparrow. Jesus taught that so often. Um, I know the hairs of your head. I know the sparrow. I know everything about you and everything about everyone. He's omniscient. God is wise, perfectly wise. He sees everything. He sees the heart. He sees the intent. He sees the motive of the, of like the widow of two mites who just gave just a little pittance in the offering. And God, in his own wisdom, saw faith. God is faithful. 
always faithful. God is good. God is always good. You know, that was one of the things I shared with those, uh, those Muslim children. God is good all the time. And, and that, that's something that just resonates. I remember the first time we went into the Philippines and we would say, God is good. And these Philippine children would, uh, that were in a VBS would say, all the time, they would just shout, but God is good. God is just. When you look at his character, he also is just. He has a standard through which he holds men to. He asks us to respond to a standard that he knows through Jesus Christ we can obtain. He knows we can't, we can't make it except through Jesus Christ. God is merciful. An amazing attribute of God. Merciful. That he would wait on people like us. You know, I love that, song, that verse in Isaiah 30 and 18. God waits for us that he might be merciful. He waits to be merciful to us. And then he says, blessed are all those who wait for him. God is gracious, just overflowing with grace to us. Gracious. God is loving. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, God, Christ died for us. God is holy. That is another one that you can look at these attributes and see them almost swing like a pendulum. Holy, but loving. Just, but gracious. Merciful, but faithful. God is glorious. Glorious. To behold the glory. That was David who said, one thing I have desired in Psalm 27. We would have looked at that. You know, those of you that I've desired of the Lord, that I'm going to seek after, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of God, the glory of God, and to live in his, and to dwell in his temple. God is glorious. Now that's 15. I'm just going to flip this thing on and say, does anyone have a, an attribute of God that has came to you that you want to share? We have a right here, brother. God is patient. Wow. He has been so patient with me in my tribulations and my uh, testing of, of my faith. Uh, definitely patient. God is husband to the widow. Amen. Amen. With that, another one, God is a father to the fatherless. Any more God is out there? Ronnie, you got one? This is one people don't like to hear. God is jealous. Yes. And I had somebody tell me one time that they'd never want to be involved with a God who was jealous. And I said, wow. I said, my God is a jealous God, but it's a good thing. He's jealous of those that are his because he loves them so much. Amen. I think there's a verse that says, my name is jealous. That is my name. Virginia. 
think one of the attributes I like is God is providential. He'll always take care of your needs. Remember Paul, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Damn, through Christ Jesus. We're hitting about 20. This speaks for me, so. My Redeemer lives. God lives. My Redeemer. My Redeemer. There we are. Chris. Um, I see God as an indulgent parent, but, but here's how I mean it. When I sit on my patio, when I look at the sky, either the night or the day, and just the beauty that's there, and the beauty of the trees and the, uh, the, the critters that come by, um, the rabbits, the quail, coyotes from time to time, he just he puts stuff in front of me that is just so pleasing to watch our great state, the planet, if you look at it from outer space, he's just, uh, he's a pleasing, an indulgent parent of the what he gives us for free to enjoy. Wow, yeah. God is just. Amen. I'm loving this. God is forgiving. God is forgiving. Um, God is slow to anger. Slow to anger. I'm going to slide right through you. Get okay. God is sovereign in complete control. God is sovereign. Chris. God is comforting when we're going through problems and we can pray and he'll comfort our hearts. He comforts us with all of our tribulations that we may be able to comfort others with the comfort we're comfort with him. He's a loving God. He is a loving God. They just keep coming. Sally, you have one? He's a listening God. He is a listening God. God is greater. God is greater. He's true. He calls himself the living and true God. Amen. The living and true God. Well, it just keeps going. If we sit here, we probably get another hundred. <laughs> you know, uh, I think if I say, he says, well, who would you ever, to whom would you ever liken God? And what likeness would you ever be able to compare to him? He says how workmen will fat, to do things and craftsmen will try to do this and artists will try to do this, but God speaks the world into existence. As you were sharing those, those verses, I was uh, thinking about that song, How Great Thou Art. And you think about just that, that song itself, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder. Almost in every language of the world, we've sung that at a funeral of a young man in our, our community in Washington that died tragically. And, uh, and his whole community came in from the whole, uh, whole western U.S. and filled this church that we had. And, and uh, that's what we sang together in Russian and English. And to feel God, boom, he's there in every language. He's there in every culture. In every, 
not only every tribulation, but he's so relevant. But as you look at this with us tonight, we, and we see this uh, again, I, I just, I'm going to read this again down to verse 7 because of what he, we've heard these words, these expressions. And let's hear him here again. The mighty one, God, the Lord has spoken and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. May our God come and not keep silence. Fire devours before him, and it is very tempestuous around him. He summons the heavens above and the earth to judge his people. Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens declare his righteousness. For God himself is judge. I think one of you said that, God, judge. He is, a, he is not only is he, he's the judge. You know, one of the great teachings of the word of God, I think sometimes we might forget this today, and that is that uh, someday, and I've read, used to get fascinated reading some of the old writers, uh, uh, old Bible teachers going back two to 300 years ago, they continually spoke of the judgment of God. We're all going to stand before the judgment. We will face God someday. Are you ready to face him? And I think sometimes the judgment may get a long ways away, and yet God is, uh, is the judge. Now Asaph goes on in this, as, as the Holy Spirit is, work, is working in his, through his pen and his heart as he's writing inspired by the Holy Ghost, as we, as we look a little further, he says, hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Now he is writing as God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to Israel, and he's going to identify their backslidings. They're moving from God. They're, they're drifting. Their drift may be slow, but it, it is there. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I take no young bull out of your house, no male goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle in a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and it contains all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? And God here is speaking of of all of these offerings that Israel was giving, all of these sacrifices that they were making unto God, and God was really saying, you know, those are mine. You know, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness. They're already mine. You're just giving back to me what I've already created. Uh, and if you notice, it's, it's kind of an interesting phrase here in verse 8. He says, I do not repro reprove you for your sacrifices. And your burnt offerings are continuing before you. And, and you're giving these offerings. But I believe if you look in the context with me, we begin to see something that happens in repetition. Familiarity 
can start breeding contempt without realizing it. One of the challenges can be as simple as coming to God's house and worshiping. And finally, the passion of God and the worship of God begins to drift from our hearts. And we're just there because it's Sunday morning or it's Saturday night. And God, I believe, is speaking to Israel here and saying there's something more than just the burnt offering. You may have given a wonderful burnt offering. And I give this to us to think about like this. There's more than just uh, the money we've, we, we give to the church. There's more than just the, the sacrifice that we make regularly. God is looking for something more. And I think within this passage, we will notice a God who's pursuing the heart of man. You see, it is so easy to reach a point that we, we give, we go to church, we talk about God, we do good things. But you know, God himself said in Isaiah, the day came when he said, this people honored me with their lips and with their words, but their heart was far from me. They had moved from the very heart of God. They had filled their life with something that was less than what God really desired. The, the, the offering is still there. The sacrifice is there. And what's so real about this is God is, is directing it here. And he says, that's all, all mine. Every beast of the forest of mine, the cattle of a thousand hills, and I know every bird, it's all mine. But I want more than you're just going to church. I want more than a sacrifice. I want more than just good words. I want more than just being a good neighbor. I'm looking for something deeper, more full. And I think you'll see this with me It's got as it kind of unwraps here. As we look in verse 14, God begins to open up this wonderful privilege that his children have in every kind of circumstance to respond. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. The privilege is to come to God with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. If you look at this, and pay your vows to the Most High, God is saying, I want it to come from your heart. You know, one of the beauties is if you look back at all these areas he's speaking of, the sacrifices, the burnt offerings, the young bulls, the male goats, and the cattle of a thousand heroes, and the birds, and all the things that they could have used for sacrifices, they cost money. The rich could get the nicest ones. They could get the nicest animals, the most animals. You go back to the days of Solomon and the multitudes of sacrifices and animals. But God says, no, I want you, I'm asking you to offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. This is free. The poorest person can do it. The poorest person in the Philippines or in India or Africa or wherever can give God what God desires. Now there's a verse in Hebrews 13 and 15, I think you might see it up here in the screen. And there, God, you, we see Paul writing here, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit that gives thanks to his name. Offering up a sacrifice of praise. That costs nothing except a surrendered heart, a broken spirit, an humble spirit. 
but it can be done in every place you're at. There's no limitation. You don't have to find the animal. You don't have to uh, have the right connection, have the money. Here's another one, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. Another beautiful verse. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You look at that verse, and I'm sure that Christians have been stretched through the ages so they've looked at that and said, you got to be kidding. In everything? Look at what just happened to our family. Look what just happened in our church. Look what happened in our country. And he says, in everything, give thanks. Last week, I was privileged to sit down with a friend I had not seen for quite a few years. And Deb and I had taken a couple days, and there's a, a, a long story behind it, but we went up to Washington because our son was leaving for nine months and leaving his four children and daughter, and we wanted to be with him a little bit. And I found out one of my real dear old friends, he lives in Indiana, was going to be there in the area visiting some family, and I said, hey, Roger, you want to get together? So there's a little McDonald's. We met down at McDonald's, and Roger has Parkinson's disease. He's had it about 10 years, and I probably hadn't seen him for five. And Roger comes walking into McDonald's, and he's walking probably a half a mile an hour. He's a 57-year-old man, right around there, walking. He has a cane. He's, he comes over. His eyes are gleaming. He has his Bible. He was always ready all the years. I used to minister in their area. He was ready for a verse, a a challenging thought, and he, we started talking. And Roger's a type of guy, I had another meeting an hour and a half later, so the only way you, you get away from Roger is you pray, one of us gotta pray ourselves out. It's the only way, because Roger, he'll just keep on going. Uh, he just loves the Lord, and here he is with Parkinson's disease, dealing with all this stuff, and I said, Roger, pray us out of here. And Roger just began to pray. And he says, God, I want to thank you from the depths of my heart for Parkinson's disease. I thank you for every trial, every tribulation, every struggle. I thank you for every limitation because you have opened up doors of ministry that I would have never known. You've, broke, you've touched my heart in ways that would have never happened. And for about five minutes, I was able to join Roger, doing nothing but offering a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God. You know, later, he, earlier in our conversation, Roger said, you know, I, I just wish that would have never happened. And so I go, oh, yeah, let's talk about Parkinson's. He looked at me and says, no, it's not about Parkinson's. It's about something else completely different. He, was glor he glories in the deepest infirmity that physically he could experience. And he was offering to God a thank sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And you know what? He loves missions. So every time we're together, he wants to hear what's going on out there. What do you know happening? What's going on in China? What's going on in India? You know what's going on in Africa? He's just, he drags people in, into his church's area from all over. But once again, God gives an example through a guy like Roger of that sacrifice of praise continually to God. Uh, another tremendous example of this. Uh, here's another verse for us, though. In First Thessalonians, I mean, First Peter two and five. One more verse on this area. 
Uh, I think we have one more verse there. First Peter 2 and 5. You also as living stones, this is what God calls us, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood for this reason, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. That's your purpose. You've been created in this image of Jesus, given this new spirit, given a new nature for this beautiful opportunity to offer sacrifices of praise to God. Amazing. It's just amazing how God uh, gives us this privilege to praise him and he gives us these opportunities. Um, and all of a sudden you go, wow, that's amazing. Uh, someone under the bridge tonight can offer sacrifice of praise to God. A person the, in the greatest trial they've ever gone through can still offer the sacrifice. You can lay in your bed and say, God, I can't move. But I can offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Uh, most of you here know that one of the places we as a church are involved is in, in India. And the gentleman we work with there, Vincana, is just this tremendous young 30-year-old guy, same age as my son, that just pours out his heart in sacrifice and praise to God all day long. If you're with him traveling, he's thanking God for the ability to minister and for these people he's got to know and these friends and how God opens all the doors. It never stops. When you finally leave him and you get ready to come home, it's like, how many times did this guy praise God? And think about that in light of, we talk about reaching out and witnessing for Jesus and, and everything. And what would happen if God's children just offered sacrifices of praise to God continually? We think we got to go and, hey, do you know you, you need Jesus? And here's the four points why. Or here's the, the, Roman, the five points of the Roman road. And all of a sudden over here, I think we, we uncover this little secret that offering sacrifices of praise to God continually is not only a tremendous blessing to God. That's what he desires. He owns everything else. He wants our hearts. He wants us. But it's also this wonderful blessing to others. You ever notice that when someone praises God like Roger, it doesn't matter what kind of day I'm having, I can't help but go up some. It might be a tough day. You may have got, some, you may have got a delivery of terrible news, but you bump into a Roger, you're heading up. Because they're looking to God and they're, and they're offering sacrifices to pray, a praise to God continually. Let's go on, verse 16. But to the wicked God says, what right have you to tell of my statues and, make, and to take my covenant in your mouth? Now God, we, we, we've looked at the characteristics of God. We've seen his loving side. We also see his just side. We see his forgiving side, but we see also that he is a God of justice. I, uh, an old pastor, uncle, that I remember as a young believer hearing would speak of often of the sovereignty, the greatness, the power of God. It was one of his themes. But one of the things I remember in his teaching was remember, don't ever, this is the one thing remember when I get all through, God's love, wrath, is just as strong as his love. He is a God of perfect balance. And if God so loved the world he gave his son, if we reject his son, God's wrath is as strong as his love. And we need to remember that. 
And if you look at this with me, you'll begin to see God speaking against those who are resisting him. What right have you to tell of my statues and take my covenant in your mouth? What are you doing speaking of me, but I'm not in your heart? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind me. You, you don't want the hard things. You don't want to go there, the difficult areas. And God is saying, this is what you're saying. You don't want the hard things. When you see a thief, you're pleased with him. You're going with the thief. You've got, you've got your perspective of good and evil mixed up. You are commending sin. You associate with adulterers. And God here is calling out a nation moving from him and backsliding. And yet I think it's just a good place for us to go, God, speak to me. You know, I think of a verse in Corinthians that says, don't forget, evil communications corrupt good manners. Just don't forget that. Paul says that, 1 Corinthians 15. Don't forget that. Evil communications will corrupt good manners. A lot of our teaching with youth over the years, sitting down with young people, is remember, you'll be like those you're, you're, you're around. If you want to, and, and God is simply saying you, you're associating with thieves, you're associating with adulterers, and your tongue frames deceit. Your tongue is, not, is full of guile, hypocrisy. Your tongue frames deceit. And you sit and speak against your brother. You see, you see where God is going. You're, you're abusing your tongues. I believe this is one of the most tolerated, forgotten sins of the Christian church. Is a tongue that wags out of control. James says the tongue is like a fire. It's like a world of iniquity. No man can tame it. Only the Holy Spirit can contain our tongue. But God, but God is bringing this judgment, uh, this voice of judgment, for a reason. And I think we'll see this as we wrap up this chapter. Uh, you sit and speak against your brother, and you slander your own mother's son. And I, and I guess that's probably a place there's never been a time the church should not be repenting for gossip. But I believe today is the time the church should be repenting for gossip. You know something I used to tell a group that uh, where I was in leadership in Washington, I'd say, if I'm not part of the problem or part of the solution, don't give it to me. I don't, I don't want it. I don't need to know it if I'm not part of the problem or part of the solution. Because I don't want to go down a road that is, is not going to be a blessing. And, and here he is just simply saying, and notice where it was going. You're, you're going against your brother and your mother's son. You're hurting those that are so close to you. These things you have done, and I kept silent. One of you mentioned uh, the patience of God, I believe, the long-suffering of God. God said, I let you do it. And I think it's true with all of us. God has let us stumble. God has let us make mistakes. God hasn't brought he hasn't sent us to death. He hasn't. But, but still, God is not pleased when we transgress against him. Really what we're doing, uh, sin does something to God. And, and, you know, sin hurts, sin divides, uh, sin scars, but sin stabs God. It's like we're saying, God, I don't need you. I can make it without you. And sin hurts God. There's no one hurt more with sin than God. We can think, yeah, it hurt my wife. It hurt my children. It hurt the, the colleagues at work, the people at church. But who, the one that is hurt the most is God. 
And then if you look in verse 21, something else that God, God says here is these things you have done and I kept silent and you thought I was just like you. And I will reprove you and state the case in order before your lies, light, before your eyes. You, you see what he's saying? You have reached a point that you have brought me down to your level and you think that's who I am. I'm not that. I'm God. I'm not just the, I am God. I'm the one that's created the world. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. But you reached a point. And have you ever thought of it a little bit like this, just as a toss it out for you, that it's possible that um, what gets us involved in sin is we've allowed that mentality to exist in some level in our mind. You know, sin doesn't start because of what we just did. It started because of a thought. But God said, you thought I was just like you. You see, your thought processes got turned upside down, and now you're partaking in sin. It's a word that slips. It's an action. It's an attitude. Pride sets in. Emulation, gossip, envy. All those things that the Word of God calls out bitterness. But God, if you notice that, he says, but you thought. Notice, I'm not, I'm not like you. I'm holy. My thoughts are pure. And when we come to that place that we live in that presence with God, there is a cleansing power within our heart. We will never rise any higher in our spiritual lives than our understanding and comprehension of God. If God is down here, don't expect to grow as a Christian and keep rising. He must be exalted in our hearts and in our lives, and we must see him on the throne of our hearts. And here he's just simply saying that. You think about that, you, the, that is it possible? This is what, what the psalmist is identifying is it's upside down thinking that generates the sin. And sometimes they say, well, I'll put a band-aid on it. I won't do that anymore. But often what God wants us to do is to come back to our heart and our mind and say, Lord, how have I seen you improperly? How have I failed to recognize who you are and how great you are and what you do? Now, God, God if for a moment, you know, you don't see this very often in the Bible. For a moment, God just says, I've, I, I've had enough of this. In verse 22, it's like, I've had it. Now, consider the, this, you who forget God, or I will tear you in pieces and there will be none to deliver. You know, the Word of God says that when the Lord comes back again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says he will destroy, consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy at the brightest of the coming. There won't even be a battle against the man. I don't care what kind of weapon that man has to fight God, God's going to win and it won't even be close. God wins every time. But notice what he says. I could just tear you into pieces. There'll be none to deliver. He was looking at the nation of Israel. You think you're strong. The Roman rule. You think you're strong. You're nothing. I could destroy you. I could just obliterate you. Come back to recognizing I'm not a God like you. I am the only one and true God who has every attribute we've talked about tonight and who is everything that he says he is in every way. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And just, But think about that. Is it possible that sin always comes from an improper perspective of God? 
we have something upside down. And until we go to that and deal inwardly with that, we're going to still keep on hitting that wall of sin. He who honors, but now notice how God ends this. He's, he's just kind of let it go for a minute. It's kind of like, bam, bam, take this, bam. You're going, wow. We're seeing the other side of God now. We're seeing the just side of God. We're seeing the, the righteous side of God. We're seeing the, the judgment side of God. We're seeing a side of God that he hates sin. And he hates hypocrisy. He, he hates, God hates just a bunch of play acting. He hates phony religion. God never has one. He wants something from our heart. He wants something that true worshipers, like Jesus said, would worship the Father in spirit and truth because that's who God seeks to wor worship him. But when God ends this uh, through Asaph, notice what he says. He stops and he says, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And he takes us back and What's really interesting uh, there as you look at that and think about it is let's say you were reading that and you were just convicted. Maybe tonight the Holy Spirit is convicted us there. And it's going, oh, that's me. You gotta be kidding. How did he know? That was me, I did it. And God does that to all of us. But he says, now, you have a privilege to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. God, thank you for my redemption. Thank you for your mercy, your forgiveness, your love. And God right here says, he who offers that sacrifice, thanksgiving, honors me. I get the glory, I get the praise. And he to him who orders his way aright. And I guess you could look at that with me and we could say that's for him who or her that chooses a path of righteousness rather than unrighteousness, of walking with Jesus rather than walking in our own way, our own flesh, he says, I will show the salvation of God. And I've, I've, I've looked at that before and thought, is, is that one of the places God kind of has all these little secrets of the Bible? I'll give you a little secret. I'm going to open the door, you peek in, take a look at the secret, and it says, if you uh, order your way right, I'm going to show you a secret. I'm going to show you my salvation in a special way. And I think this is really true about God, is God loves to show us more about himself. We enter, we, we offer sacrifices of praise to God, we give our hearts to God, and God says, okay, I will show you more. And he opens the door. And you look at him, this is amazing. He's amazing. And when you think you're just about getting there, he just opens another door and you stop and you go, you gotta be kidding. And God says, this is who I am. And I love to, to give those blessings. And with that, he gives us this beautiful, beautiful opportunity though. And I just give this to us as we leave tonight to offer praises to God. If you're in the job tomorrow, just say, God, give me the grace to offer sacrifice of praise to you throughout the day. If you're, if you're on the golf course, if you're in, with a group of guys or gals or whatever you're doing, say, God, give me a colleague, a client. Give me grace to offer that which is free, a sacrifice of praise to you, and give thanks to your name. And guaranteed, it's going to bless. It's going to honor God, and other people are going to see Jesus.
God bless you all. Let's end with prayer. Lord, we thank you tonight that we can come here, open your word. I pray, Father, that your word tonight has spoken to each of us, and it has spoken to me, Lord. And I pray that as we leave, that you can just take us and and use us, Lord, as we lift up praises of thanksgiving and honor to you, because you are worthy. You are God, and we owe you everything in Christ's name. Amen.